Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Uh, off the top in this hour, though, this this fascinating rescue mission uh, involving a, a Calgary-based airline and a researcher at, at the uh, South Pole. Uh, this this plane, and it had some difficulty getting to the South Pole. They left Calgary, as a matter of fact, it was a week ago today, a week ago yesterday, I think. They finally made it to the South Pole Tuesday afternoon. They actually had to rest for 10 hours and then began the return journey. So we heard today that this, this plane is on its way, and it's on its way from this way up remote outpost back to a, a British uh, survey station. Which, as I understand, even that is like a nine or ten hour flight. And this is Antarctica, after all, so you're dealing with the weather. Uh, dealing with darkness, too. Like actual pitch black darkness. It's pretty rare that this thing would, would need to be done. Obviously, it's uh, serious enough. that, In fact, there are two people, as I understand. A total of 48 based at this station in the South Pole. Two are ill. One of them uh, needed to be evacuated. I'm not sure whether the, the second one was as well. Now, joining us to talk about the challenges involved in you know, going down and getting people out of there and how rare it is. Alex Taylor is a, a polar guide and educator. In fact, has been a guide in Antarctic uh, summers since 1992. Alex, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Uh, great to be here. You know, it's interesting, as we've learned over the last couple of days, there, there's quite a, a broad community, a global community of, of Antarctic uh, researchers and, and guides and experts. Uh, it's quite a, a camaraderie. Yeah, well, it's a relatively small community. Um, you know, we don't all know each other, but uh, we often cross paths uh, down south or at conferences, uh, training, uh, uh, lots of networking that goes on. And we, some of us even work together in the uh, Antarctic tourism industry. So tell me a bit about some of the work that, that you've done down there. Uh, well, for more than 20 years, I've been working in the Antarctic for the Antarctic summers, so the Canadian winter, uh, as a polar guide and photographer, mainly for the British Antarctic Survey, so providing safety and logistics support to different science programs. And uh, the job entails usually going down to the Antarctic either by ship or by plane, uh, getting to a research station, doing a bunch of preparation, and then going out into the field for months at a time, living in tents on the continent, doing wow. glaciology or geology or drilling, that sort of thing. Yeah, it just it seems so fascinating. As you say, so few people actually do this. Now, the, the challenges involved, I just in, in looking at the map of this, so you got the, the British research station, I guess it's the Rothera Research Station. Yeah, and that's uh, just below the, sorry, or above in latitude sense, uh, below the Antarctic Circle, so just below 67 degrees south. So they're right at the height of uh, the winter right now. Oh, wow. Uh, which makes this all the more difficult. So even just getting to what's basically the the tip of Antarctica or the, the outskirts of Antarctica, is, there's the challenges involved in that. And then 
you know, just getting then to where some of these research stations are, there's a lot of difference. It's a big, big continent. It's big. Uh, do you know how big Canada is, Rob? Canada's pretty big, yeah. Canada's, what, uh, almost 10 million square kilometers, whereas Antarctica is 14 million square kilometers. So it's full wow. 40% bigger than Canada, yeah. So it's definitely a big place. That's crazy. So how, about how many would you say various research stations and, and scattered across Antarctica would there be at any given time, do you know? Uh, there's in excess of uh, 30 stations, but they're all quite a wide variety of uh, sizes. The one at the South Pole, the Amundsen-Scott station, which is an American station, is one of the bigger ones, but it's, you know, the summer it'll have two to 300 staff, and in the winter uh, somewhere around 50 or 60. Um, the British station, Rothera, which is sort of the, one of the mid-level stations, in the summer maxes out at about 110 people, but in the winter it has a skeleton staff of uh, 20 or so. So right now, we just had our longest day. Does that imply then that it's pretty much dark around the clock in Antarctica right now? Exactly. Uh, and similar to Canada, you know, up, uh, say in Iqaluit or Tuktoyaktuk, they're going to have um, a longer stretch of 24-hour sunlight uh, or inversely 24-hour dark. Uh, in the Antarctic now, with it being winter, a uh, place like Rothera uh, near the coast will have a little bit of um, twilight during the day, uh, midday, but down at the South Pole, it's going to be, they won't, won't see the sun for another couple of months. The sun would have disappeared a couple of months ago, wow. and they won't see it again until uh, sort of late August. All right. So uh, the, the planes from Kenborak Air left uh, Calgary back on, on June 14th, I guess it was. So they, they've got a long way to go, but wh why is it then that that's the kind of expertise that needs to be drawn upon here? Um, well, a few reasons. Uh, Ken Boric Air, they're definitely the world leaders in remote aircraft operations, or what we would have called um, sort of bush piloting. Mm -hmm. And their workhorse is the Twin Otter, Canadian built and designed aircraft. Um, but the thing with getting to the South Pole is it's not like uh, most other places in the world where you can land on a, you know, a paved uh, runway. Um, the South Pole is the top of a huge glacier dome that is Antarctica, and so they have to land on snow, and that requires aircraft with skis. Um, notwithstanding the fact they're doing it, you know, in total darkness with very little uh, avionics support that an airport would have, um, and in the, you know, extreme temperatures. So they do this normally during uh, the Antarctic summer. Uh, Ken Bork runs the largest fleet of Twin Otters in their chartered to the American National Science Foundation and a few other uh, operations down there. So they do the bulk of flying in Antarctica anyway. But um, this is in the winter. And so normally they'd fly from a place like Rothera and have uh, at least a couple of fuel stops in the 2,500-kilometer journey from the coast to the pole. But those, aren't, those fuel stops aren't available to them this time of year. So they have to carry uh, fuel in the back, as it were, in the uh, fuselage, if what are called big ferry tanks, to sort of almost double their fuel load, so that doubles their range. Yeah, it's crazy. So, <laughs> I just I can't even imagine just the the landing and taking off. Uh, there's not even the the researchers that are there. There's not much they can lay down, right, in terms of lights or anything. So they they are really landing basically in, as you say, in 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 darkness. Yeah, and so both at Rother and at South Pole, the air operations, you know, are on uh, hold for the winter, and they wouldn't be digging out their equipment and preparing the skiways and runways uh, until about, oh, sort of October. 
Um, so they will have, rather, or they will have had to dig out all the plows and snowblowers and cleared the runway, you know, around the clock in preparation for the uh, planes arriving there. Uh, and then at the South Pole, they're doing a similar thing, but they're preparing what we call a skiway, which is sort of a runway on snow. So they're taking out all the sastrugi and bumps and drifts, and then they'll line the skiway uh, sometimes with uh, drums with fires in them or flares, and they'll have vehicles with uh, strong lights sort of pointing to the runway and trying to light it up as much as they can. Um, and hopefully the crews would have not taken off unless they had a really solid weather forecast for their destination. Because there's this concept of PNR, point of no return, where uh, they can only carry enough fuel to get to their destination and arrive there with not much left in the tank. So if the weather goes down or there's a uh, mechanical problem, they don't have many options. So about halfway in that 2,500 kilometer journey to the pole, they have to decide whether they keep going or they turn back. And if they go past the point of no return, you know, they have they are fully committed to landing in whatever conditions uh, greet them on the destination wow. end. So the fact that they're doing this, I guess, speaks to the severity of the situation. It's not often that people have to be evacuated out of the South Pole. No, it's quite rare. Um, I don't have the dates in front of me, but there have been two uh, similar evacuations that Ken Bork's done in the last sort of 20, 25 years. So what's the protocol when, when you're there and understanding that you know, people might get sick or you might fall and injure yourself? It's, you're not automatically going to be evacuated because of how difficult it is. So do you need some knowledge then? Are people often treated at these camps and workstations? Oh, yeah. And so almost every uh, wintering station will have uh, a doctor as part of its staff. Um, the medical facilities they'll have on base will be limited, um, and that doctor's access to resources will be limited other than what they can get over the phone and the internet with uh, colleagues back in the civilized world. Um, but there's a very strong uh, health and safety culture on these bases, and uh, ironically, uh, a lot of uh, sort of the minor accidents come during recreation, <laughs> um, and uh, industrial accidents are relatively rare. But, you know, there's, there's certain ailments that you just can't uh, predict or screen for, you know, like appendicitis and, and those sorts of things. So um, there's always the risk that this happens. But when you go and work at these stations, there's an understanding that you are going to be completely isolated for many months at a time. Well, and there's still the journey back. Somebody texted to say, and maybe you can speak to this. Uh, this person says, I worked for the British Antarctic Survey as an aircraft maintenance engineer. I aided in a medevac for them in 2005 to Rothera. The most dangerous part of their journey is still ahead of them. Crossing the Drake Passage, if there are any problems and they have to land in the ocean, there is no rescue at all. So what, what's involved now in, in getting these people out of there? Yeah, exactly. They'll just... Um uh, take a tangent. You know, this is very much a Calgary story because uh, both Ken Boric Air is, is based here and the British Antarctic Survey uh, Twin Otters are maintained at um, uh, uh, in Springbank uh, and, they, and that company even sends uh, engineers down to work for the British Antarctic Survey. But uh, to, yeah, he's exactly right. To get from Rothera uh, up to Punta Arenas, Chile, the bottom of South America. I think it's uh, about a 1,600-kilometer journey, so it's shorter than going from Rothera to the pole, but it's still beyond the average 1,400-kilometer range of a twin otter. 
And if they do have engine difficulties or weather problems or some kind of technical problem, there literally is nowhere to land. You know, it's sort of like uh, crossing the Atlantic. Um, there's no uh, alternate runway that you can turn to, especially in a small plane like that. Uh, and so that that's where they're they're headed for is is Chile. That's where these this individual will be will be treated then. That's correct. Yeah. All right. Well, it's it's quite something, Alex. Uh, appreciate the insight here, and thanks so much for making some time for us. Oh, my pleasure, Rob. All right. Yeah, I hope all turns out uh, well for everybody involved. Yes, indeed, absolutely. Thanks again, Alex. Uh, there you go. Alex Taylor is polar guide and educator. Has been a guide in Antarctic summers, which will be our winter uh, since 1992. So. Yeah, just give you an understanding of just how crazy it is. And even though they made it there, landed, got the person on board, took off, there's still a lot of danger that they got to deal with. It's just unbelievable. Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge, weekdays starting at 9.30 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.